Welcome, everybody. It is great to have you back for week seven of Alpha. We're just flying through the weeks here. We're over halfway there. I know some of you still have perfect attendance. Do not screw that up. Again, graduation is upon us, and uh, we want to recognize you guys with perfect attendance. Now, look, we are acknowledging, if, you're, if you've been watching live stream and you've made seven weeks of live stream, you have perfect attendance, and though you may not be able to come here and be here physically, we will get you your graduation ceremony award. So, uh, and if you've been here, let's say, um, seven weeks of this here and you have to miss one, but you watch it live streaming, we get a note from your parents, we will go ahead and acknowledge you as having perfect attendance as well. So uh, don't, don't forge your parents' signature the way I used to. I know Lloyd did. I know Lloyd did that a lot. But anyway, tonight, uh, we're about to jump into week seven. I want to remind you the Alpha Weekend is not this weekend, but the following weekend. So I want you to join us. Live stream or be here. going to be a great breakfast. It's going to be amazing breakfast. Uh, so uh, we want you to, to join us for that as well. It's, we're going to be in weeks uh, session nine and session ten of the Alpha Week. So this is a part of a course Hadn't done this in the, we didn't do this last Alpha because of the coronavirus, but we're feeling like things are moving along. The governor has lifted the mask mandate, so we have to look at everyone's faces again. So, um, but we're excited about that. So, please consider joining us uh, next weekend, Friday night and Saturday morning. So, uh, 6.30, Friday night, 7 o'clock, pardon me, 8.30, Saturday morning. So tonight we're in session 12, interesting topic, how can I resist evil? Well, if, if I just summed up tonight in a brief statement, it would, it would be this. Um, the way I resist evil primarily is by learning and loving the Bible and by learning to talk to and to listen to God. The more we know God, and this is like anything else. We talked about this last week. The more you know someone, the more you trust them, the more you trust them, the more you love them, the more you love them, you want to serve them, the more you learn of them. And it's the same way with God. God is ultimately relational. That is who he is. That sums up who God is. It sums up the Bible that God loves us, and he created us in his image to experience him. But we screwed things up. Our our progenitors, Adam and Eve, decided to do things their way. And we are still experiencing that to this day. But the more we know God, the more aware we are of the efforts of evil that are set against us. And I want to use this word because I want us to hear this. The more that evil is set against us personally. So what we see, there's evil in the world around us. There's still, though we, it's kind of, feels kind of hard to say that there's still evil at work in each and every one of us, those of us who are in Christ, I still screw up. I still can be selfish. It doesn't take me out of Christ when I do that. But I'm not yet totally perfect. But I am perfectly in Christ. So the evil, the world around us, the flesh within us, and even the Bible talks about the devil or demons above us. So tonight the topic is how can I resist evil and win against the many temptations that come against me? So, the devil, uh, really, I mean, uh, according to the Bible, yeah, really. And there are four things to consider about Satan and demons. And I, I, 
I was listening to a message by Tim Keller, and I, I thought this would be helpful for us, so I brought this tonight. So when we think about things, things to consider about Satan and demons, one, being simplistic, it could be that we are being simplistic and naive to not believe. So Americans think that, you know, we're so sophisticated now. We're, we're so smart. We're so technological. Wait, we don't believe this archaic nonsense about demons. Well, maybe we're being simplistic and naive about them. Or maybe we're being culturally narrow since most of the world does believe in personal evil, in demons. You believe in God. You believe in God whom you cannot see. Um, could there be evil that we could not see? Or then, if the Bible's true and there are demons, there's no way to respond to them without being in Christ. No, no way to, to be successful without being in Christ and being in the Bible. It's just that important. And the Bible teaches from Genesis, the beginning of Genesis, to the very end of the scripture, Satan. He was a created being who rebelled against God, took a third of the angels of heaven with him, and he opposed and opposes God and desires to destroy men and women. Not just destroy our lives in the dash. I thought you guys would be happy tonight. I brought back my prop here. But not just in the dash, this little physical timeline, but on the other side of our last heartbeat that will last Forever, His desire is to, if what the scripture tells us is true, his desire is to destroy us and to keep us from the true knowledge of God. And we can see this throughout the scripture. But 47 times in the scripture, we see passages directly mentioning Satan. 33 more where we talk about demons. And we see this, as I said, from, from the serpent in the garden to the beast in Revelation, we see the personage of Satan throughout the scripture. We see evil, the result of that. And so uh, it's in First Peter, this is what Peter wrote. He said, be sober-minded. Now, when, remember, when Peter writes, he is, you know, it wouldn't take long for me to get my, my cups out here. Um, when Peter writes, he is writing to those who are in Christ. They've been unplugged from death. They've been plugged into life. They become children of God. They said, I do. They're in the wheelbarrow. So Peter says to those who are in Christ, hey, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil. So according to Peter, we have an adversary, and it is the devil, and he prowls around. Okay, you think of somebody prowling. What are they doing? Are they announcing themselves? No, they're not announcing themselves. They're sneaky. They're conniving. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, that someone, that someone couldn't possibly be me, right? He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking Kathy to devour. How does that make you feel? Seeking Bill to devour. Seeking BJ to devour. Seeking Danielle to devour. And what does is, what is Peter goes on to write? Resist him. How? Firm, strong, in your faith. And we've talked about faith a whole lot over the course of these last six weeks. We'll do that again tonight. And so the issue really is not whether or not, ah, it's hard to believe this stuff about demons. The question is not whether or not it's hard to believe. The question is, is it true? Is it true? 
Well, let's just do a little logistical thinking here. Let's just think logically for a moment. So stick with me. So if the resurrection is true, okay, got that? If the resurrection is true, then Jesus died, right? There's no resurrection if there's not first death. And the reason he died, according to the scripture, was to set us free from our sins, our own rebellion, to take us out of Adam and to place us into Christ. To set us free from our sins was because of the fall of mankind. And the fall of mankind was due to our parents caving into the lies and temptation of the serpent in the garden. So the resurrection is because of Christ's death. And Christ's death was to set us free from our sins. And the reason he did that was so that we could be taken out of Adam and placed into Christ, taken out of, if you will, the captivity. We're going to learn more about this in a little bit. The captivity of Satan by placing us into this family where there was nothing but sin and death. Life in the, life in the dash would be what it was, but life in the, in the line would be totally separated from God. And so we read the scripture here. John writes this. This is great news here. The purpose... The Son of God appeared. Okay, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Why did he do that? Well, here you go. One quick sentence from, from, from John. The purpose the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the evil one, to get us out of Adam and to place us into Christ. That's why he came. And his works were completely dealt away with when I was placed into Christ. I was totally perfectly placed in Christ. I'm not perfect, but I'm perfectly in Christ. And that's a, something you need to hear. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Go spend one minute with my wife and you'll know that. I'm not perfect, but I am perfectly in Christ. Our children are not perfect, but they are perfectly glorious. Do you see what I'm saying? Why? Because they're born of an enemy. They're perfectly ours, but they're not perfect. And so... God places us in Christ, and he is transforming us. And there's, so there's still a battle that is raging there. So Christ comes to destroy the works of the evil one. So if there is a devil, I want you to take this. I, I want you to get angry. If there's a devil, I want you to get angry. I want you to take his works against you personally. Like like, he's got a bounty on your head. He's out to destroy you. If what the Bible tells us is true, he is out to destroy you. And according to the scripture, if we don't allow the work of Jesus to destroy his works in our life, then simply put, he will destroy our lives. We won't experience in the dash all that God has for us. And certainly this is not something we should look in, uh, look or be looking forward to because his work, he comes only to destroy. That's what he does. So again, if the Bible is true, there are demons and there is no way to really deal with them if we are not in Christ and not aware of and being uh, enlightened and strengthened by the, the teachings of the scripture. This is what Wayne Gruden, theologian Wayne Gruden had to say about the devil. He says, if scripture gives us a true account of the world as it really is, 
then we must take seriously its portrayal of intense demonic involvement in human society. Our failure to perceive that involvement with our five senses simply tells us that we have some deficiencies. We have some deficiencies in our ability to understand the world, not that demons do not exist. Now, that makes sense. That tells me if I'm having a difficult time with this, the deficiency is with me if what this is saying is the truth. I'm deficient in having a grasp on this truth. Well, you may say, well, but Frank, I can't see it. Well, it really doesn't matter whether you can see demons or not. Um, let me just ask you this question. Um, uh, maybe you're familiar with what this is. Um, this, this, is, um, this is a dust mite. I don't know if you recognize this or not. That um, It's a little bit larger than... Could you imagine if these things were actual size and you went home tonight and you... Um, but dust mites are really horrible things. Um, right now in your bed, in your house, um, there are thousands of these things probably having a dust mite orgy in your bed and you don't even, you're not even aware of it because you can't see them. Um, but they're going, I mean, it's happening all the time. And it's, you know, they, the, the good thing about dust mites, though, is that they only like moist, wet areas of the country. So we don't have to be, oh, we are in New Orleans. So, so we may have to be concerned about these things. The, the fact of the matter is that a pillow that is two years old could have, or 10 years old, could have up to two pounds of dust mites in your pillow. So those could be dead dust mites and other things that dust mites leave along the way. Um, but but these, are, these are things that you need to be concerned. Can you see it? No. But can they affect you? Do you know people that are allergic to these things? Absolutely. So just because you can't see it doesn't mean it can't hurt you. And tonight, oh, I did want to tell you that tonight's Alpha is brought to you by MyPillow. So we want to thank Mike Lindell. Thank you, Mike, for um, sponsoring tonight's Alpha. And um, anyway, but I, I mean, are, are you are you are you familiar with this? Okay, this. I don't know if you uh, if we have any chemists here or uh, etymologists or anything like that. Uh, this is the swine flu virus under a microscope, um, and we know what back in 2012, what there was a big scare about swine flu. Thankfully, it did not do what coronavirus did. But maybe one of the reasons for that is because they were able to isolate quickly the origin of the swine flu virus, and this is, this is what, how they were able to isolate this. They were, could find exactly where the swine flu virus started, and they took care of this kid as quickly as they could. So that's, a, that's quite a kisser. So anyway, but microscopes, it's interesting, microscopes have been used to discover things that you and I just cannot see with the naked eye. But they're real, even though we can't see them. And before, you know, before microscopes, we could just see the symptoms of the effects, you know, of these things that were killing us, the bacteria, the viruses. We could not see these things. We could only see the effects in the unseen world. But there, it's clear that there are things that we cannot see that can and do harm us. They are there. And... Our not seeing them has nothing to do with their ability to really bring havoc into our world. Well, 
if we look at this on the spiritual side, the, 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 microfo- the microscope of Scripture brings us to, into the spirit realm to see things that we would not see. But for God, using his word as a magnifying light for us, that we may, to some degree, be able to comprehend the presence of things that desire to deceive us and to do us harm, not just in the dash, but in the line. Um, Ignorance does not exempt us from their effects. So, okay, what are the devil's tactics? Well, the Bible teaches us that, the de- that Satan has some deceptive devices to keep us from thinking biblically about him. If you don't know what the Bible says, it's going to be very difficult to know how to come against his schemes or to know what his schemes are. And, you know, it's really funny. Through the ages, we have all been introduced to some ghoulish or caricature-like images um, that of, of evil that have given us some, some peculiar ways of thinking. There are religious ways that we can think about him, but they are not biblical. They're religious, but not biblical. Uh, but there's also uh, things like movies. I mean, maybe you've recognized this as we've gotten older. Uh, yesterday, I had to go to the, the doctor, and uh, up on the screen is uh, Leave it to Beaver in black and white. And then I was leaving, Perry Mason was on in black and white, and I'm thinking... Boy, those days are gone. I mean, this is just, just TV's different. Man, remember when you couldn't even see um, Rob and uh, Laura Petrie's uh, bedroom? Do you remember that? I mean, uh, those days are gone. Uh, but so, you know, through movies and TV, through the arts, how about video games? My goodness, music. <laughs> Music and various other media. And Satan is all too happy to use the fiction of Hollywood or the fiction of Halloween to accomplish his purposes. And I mean, it could be, I mean, all these, all these horror movies that are coming out. I mean, the Friday the 13th and the, all these things that are coming out just to scare the, the bee-whackers out of you. That happens. So his, his, his work is to, to either scare us to try to not even use his name, and I know there are people like this, or just to get us to laugh, just to get us to laugh. I mean, is this where we get our theology from concerning Satan? You know, you remember the church lady on Saturday Night Live? Does anybody remember the church lady on Saturday Night Live? Thank you very much. I mean, could it be Satan? Do you remember that? I mean, this is crazy stuff, but let's just laugh. Ha, 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 doesn't that? Let's just laugh him out of existence. Maybe if we just laugh hard enough, we'll just, he'll just go away. Maybe that's what will happen. Or maybe one of my favorite things, 2009 Music TV Awards. Here is um, here's Jack Black, okay? Jack Black and whoever this poor little damsel is right there. Jack Black, he is, 2009 Music TV Awards. He is leading the hundreds of people in the audience and uh, I guess millions that are watching in a prayer to our dear, de- to our dear dark Lord Satan. Pay no attention. Let's just laugh that off. So, and then, uh, then of course, I don't know if you guys, any of you guys took on, took in this, this TV show. Was around for a while. Remember Fox had this, the show Lucifer on? Did you miss that? Well, Lucifer was canceled by the producers, and then shortly thereafter, the producers were canceled by Lucifer. It just kind of worked that way. You don't get away with that. So, he was bad. But here's what C.S. Lewis had to say. Great author, you know. 
He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to have an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, that is demons, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. A materialist, a secularist, an, an agnostic or atheist with the same delight. A magician, a sorcerer, somebody that's into spirit things. So there's either too much or too little of an emphasis on them. And why is that? Because we are ignorant of God's manual, if you will, his instruction manual called the Bible that our Father has given us to be aware of who God is and therefore be aware of who God isn't. So this is how Satan fights. He fights on two fronts. And I, maybe this is something you want to write down. Maybe it's not. You just listen. Um, but he fights on two fronts and he has two intentions. One, to keep, I'm using alpha language here, to keep you and me out of the wheelbarrow. To keep us from believing. To keep us from saying I do. To keep us from receiving the gift. First thing, to keep us in Adam. Second, if we have come to Christ and know Christ, to keep us as ineffective as possible and immature as possible in our relationship with him. So one, to keep us out of the wheelbarrow, and two, to keep us ineffective in terms of really coming to know Christ. Keep us immature. And if we're not in the wheelbarrow, his job is to totally and ultimately destroy us. That's, that's the description Jesus gave us. If Jesus is right, this is the description he gave him. He said, for this thief, he's talking about Satan here, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, that means if Jesus says he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, that must mean he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That is his job. 24-7, 365. That is his resume. Satan, Lucifer. Responsibilities. Stealing, killing, destroying. To keep us from Christ. That's, that's his intention. That is his desire. That's what he does. Um, it's interesting. Our, we were at our daughter's, uh, I think it was last year. Um, I think it was last year. It must have been last year. And uh, I had the opportunity to visit one of, her, one of their neighbors. What, and uh, I was talking to Dale. And uh, fascinating man. The man is a walking miracle. Um, he had a flesh-eating bacteria about nine years ago, which they do not know why he was still alive after how he survived that. And then uh, about, I guess now it's been maybe six months, he just, he was with someone uh, at, at, a, at, a, at a dog show and just boom, hits the ground, no heartbeat, no nothing, and who happens to be right next to him? An EMT and a cardiologist. I mean, I mean if, you're gonna, if your heart's going to stop and you don't want to die, that's who you want there. If your heart's going to stop and you do want to die, you don't want them there. But if you don't want to die, you got, you got a good, good company there, and they bring him back. And in both cases with the flesh-eating bacteria, uh, the, the nurse, he told me, the nurse said, both nurses said to him, God must have a plan for your life. God's not ready for you yet. Both cases, 
Um, and I said to him, did you consider that it may be that you're not ready for God yet? How many times have you heard somebody say, I guess God's not ready for you yet. I, I know we've all heard that. It's a common statement when somebody has a near brush with death. But do anybody, have you heard anybody say, well, you know, I'm thinking you may not quite be ready for God yet. That's a good question. Are you ready for God yet? And it's God's mercy, I believe, to this man that he's still on the planet. Because if he's still in Adam, he's not ready. If I'm still in Adam, I'm not ready if what the Bible says is true. So here's what, here's what uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth about, about Satan. He says, in whose case, those are still in Adam, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving, blinded those who are still, or who are still in Adam, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So to keep us from seeing the truth of who Christ is, is how he works. And if Alpha does anything for you, I hope it's at least making you consider, are these things true? And if they are true, then I need to seriously consider not where God is with me, but where am I with God? It's a serious question, serious question. So he keeps us blind to our true need by keeping us from the truth. Distracted, religious, whatever that may be. Then he works through lies, which take the form of, of you know, even temptations and accusations. Here's what Jesus had to say. Now, when Jesus makes this statement, he's making the statement to the most religious people of the time. So take that. Here's the context of it. Jesus is speaking to those who consider themselves and others consider themselves very religious. And Jesus says to those very religious people, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. What are the, okay, what are the desires of the father? Steal, kill, destroy. Keep from the truth. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. Anything that appears to be the truth is a twist of the truth. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He is a liar and the father of lies. And I have no capacity in and of myself to ward off his lies or to know the difference in and of myself. Certainly not in Adam because in Adam I don't care unless God is beginning to open my eyes and pulling me out of Adam and I see it and I respond to, to him. He wants to keep us out of the Bible. Hey, warning. Don't read the Bible. You can't understand the Bible. Do you remember those things we talked about last week? You know, why don't you read the Bible? Well, it's just so hard to understand. It's got so many interpretations. It's just going to make me feel guiltier than I already, guiltier than I already am. And the other one that says, uh, you're not supposed to read it. Uh, no, I mean, to, to not read the scripture is to uh, void ourselves of the truth. The Bible says, if, here's, what, here's what Jesus says. If you abide in my word. Now, you know what it means to abide, to live. If you live in my word, you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Make you free from what? 
Where's that word on here? Lies. It'll make you free from lies. The truth sets us free from lies. If what the Bible tells us is true, here's the truth. Being in Christ, knowing Christ. And I'm just lying in a bed of lies if I'm in Adam. And that's exactly where I was until God, by his grace, opened my eyes to see. And it's where I'd still be if God had not opened my eyes to see. So what are some of the other things and other tactics of Satan? As I talked about, he loves to use meology, man-made religion. Us trying, remember our, our analogy here of us trying to reach God on our own, that quid pro quo thing, that trying to be good enough. Not going to be perfect, but hopefully my good works will outweigh my bad works. You know, he uses self-reliant BVM religion to motiva- motivate us to perfect our own religion. And he does that again, mainly by keeping us out of the Bible. Uh, and here's another way he does it. And it's working in the public square, by the way. Remove God from the public square. Destroy by removing God from the scene and destroy the ramifications of sin by definition. But here's the truth. Now think about this. If there is no God, who is to say, maybe you've never thought about this before. If there is no God, who is to say what's right or wrong? If there's no ultimate authority, what makes Hitler wrong? He thought the superior race was the way to go. We didn't agree with him, thankfully, and we prevailed. But if there is no ultimate authority, where does the knowledge of what is right and what is wrong even come from? Where does it come from? And if you can remove God from the public square, if you can remove, if you will, what is right and what is wrong, if you can remove God from the public square, if you can remove God from the schools, from the courtrooms, from anywhere in the public square, certainly God hasn't gone anywhere, but our thinking about him certainly has. Hmm. If no God, no right or wrong. And boy, don't we have a lot to show for that today. Since the Supreme Court decision of 1963, where God was voted, I believe it was 1963, God was voted out of schools. What have we seen? What have we seen? What's another thing? He just distorts the truth about God. Okay, Things like, no fun, no more. If you, if you, if you get into Christ, you don't understand what's going to happen. God is going to give you a one-way ticket to Africa and you will never come back. You will be eaten by cannibals, but at least you get to go to heaven. Don't do that. You'll be thinking about things like that. You get to spend more time on Bourbon Street if you come to know Jesus. Yay for that. I mean, here, here's, here's, um, here's Bourbon Street. I think that's, is that during Corona or is that before Corona? I'm not sure. Um, but... You know, but you're, the, t- the way you're going to spend more time on, on Bourbon Street uh, is not with a hurricane in your hand. It'll be with a megaphone in your hand and a big cross telling everybody they're going to go to hell if they don't repent. That's what's going to happen to you if you get in Christ. I mean, this is where life is going. God's going to make you poor. You're going to have to give all your money away to the church, of course. That's what you're going to have to do. And then you're going to lose all your friends. Remember all those great friends you used to enjoy? 
Kick them out of your life, heathens. They'll just drag you down. Now, look, I know we're kind of giggling over this. But the giggling is because there's some truth in that of the way we think. If I do this, what's going to happen? Can't be good. Worse yet, worse yet, if you come to Christ, you will have to dress up in black and white and serve cake at the next Alpha. (laughs) Could you imagine? Horrible. Um, I have a dear friend. um, I have one dear friend uh, next to my wife. Uh, I have a dear friend. uh, Went to high school together. uh, And... um, uh, he, he went on to Tulane, got a chemical engineering degree at Tulane, went on to Stanford, got an MBA from Stanford. Just a real dummy. He couldn't make it into LSU like me. Um, and uh, after, so it was my sophomore year that, that, that I surrendered my life to Christ and said, I do, got in the wheelbarrow. Um, so I was talking to my friend about Jesus and Fast forward, he's, we're probably at this time maybe in our early 40s. Yeah, right around our late 30s, early 40s. And life had kind of taken the turn that he didn't expect. And, you know, I'd been talking to him, Annette and I'd been talking to him about, about Jesus through these years. And it's like, that's nice, that's nice. Well, um, eventually in 1993, he surrendered his life to Christ. And i just so excited. And I, I love this man, so grateful for this man. And we were having lunch one day after, shortly after he had given his life to Christ. And, and he said to me, you know, Frank, what took me so long to surrender my life to Christ? And I thought, this is going to be good. So I'm just saying, look, just, let, me, let me write this down because I, I can maybe use this material somewhere. He said, what took me so long to come to Christ was you. And I thought, what do you mean me? He said, I was afraid I'd have to become like you. And the last thing I wanted to do was be like you. Well, okay. Um, But it made a lot of sense to me that he had some picture of me, which was maybe right, maybe wrong. I don't know. But he was thinking that, I can't do that. I can't do what he does. I don't know that I want to do what he does. And all of those preconceived stereotypes kept him from just entering into a lovely, glorious, intimate relationship with God who gave his son so that we could know him, have our sins forgiven, have joy in the dash and eternal life with him in the line. All these little things just messing up the works don't believe that. This will happen. Don't believe that. That'll happen. You're going to do this. Oh, God, you're going to have to leave the denomination that you've been in all your lives. You can't do that. Your parents are going to have a fit. All those lies. All those lies. That's what I'm saying. Take this personally. If this is true, he is out to destroy you and those around you. As Peter said, resist him firm in your faith. And you don't do that by yourself. You don't do that by yourself. So if, so if we are in Christ, 
Um, the scripture also tells us that he is an accuser of the brothers. He's an accuser of those who are in Christ. Let me just, just, Tim Keller helps us out again right now. Here's what, here's what Revelation 12, 1, 11 says. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, those who are in Christ, who accuses them, okay, the accuser is Satan, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They, that's brothers and sisters, those who are in Christ, overcame him, okay, were able to resist him, how? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. In other words, the overcoming happens not by you and me overcoming first, it's by the work of Christ, the blood of the Lamb, the cross of Christ, which you and I surrender ourselves to when we believe in him by faith and say, I do to him. We overcome him by the work of Christ and the word of our testimony, our agreeing with that, our confessing that constantly, believing and confessing that I don't belong to you anymore. You don't have any right in my life anymore. I belong to Christ. And that's how we overcome him, by the power that God has given us. But this is the way he accuses us. Whether we're in Christ or not, but, but think about this truly as those who are in Christ. This is what Keller had to say. Accusations and temptations. We have a tendency, he will make us have a tendency to look more at our, sin, our sinful work, our sins, than our Savior's work. We look more at what we've done than what Christ did. We have a tendency of focusing on our failures instead of the very one thing that gives us a relationship with God forever and places us eternally, securely in Christ, the work of our Savior. Another thing is we can obsess over looking at past sins where the result of the sin cannot be undone. Do you see that? Something you've done, it can't be undone. There's no way. You'd have to maybe go back in time and nobody's doing that. But that guilt hangs on you. And you feel like because of what you did, either you can't come to Christ or God doesn't want you. Or you just can't forgive yourself. Can, can I just tell you this? Forget about forgiving yourself. The one who holds a whole lot higher standard than you and knew all about whatever it was that you did or didn't do that you should have done or shouldn't have done. He knew all about that. And he sent his son for you and me anyway. You've got to see this. There's nothing about you or me that commends us to God or disqualifies us from coming to God. Obsession over that. that that's, that's, a, that's a ploy. That's a scheme. That's an area to accuse and to tempt us to be crushed by. Third, thinking that current difficulties are punishment for past sins. The reason you're going through that is because you did that. Or because you didn't do that. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't ramifications for sin. You rob a bank. If you're in Christ and you rob a bank and you get caught, you're going to jail, hopefully. That's, that's what happens. There's still ramifications of that. But in Christ, you're still as in Christ as you were. And God lets you get caught because maybe he wants to use you in jail. 
I don't know. But I know he works everything for good, even the screw-ups, even all of my screw-ups, he has somehow used to this date for good and his glory. That's what he does, because he knows it all. Current difficulties are not punishment for past sins. Would you believe me? Do you hear that? They're not. Last one, causing us to believe that our sinful desires would not tackle us. They would cause us to believe that, our, that we wouldn't have sinful desires or we wouldn't be in the mess we're in if we were really followers of Christ in Christ. You hear that? Cause us to believe that we wouldn't have sinful desires. That now I'm Mr. And Miss, we're Mr. and Ms. Perfect. No thoughts, no, no impure thoughts, no greedy deeds, no nothing like that would happen to me if I was really in Christ. Can I tell you that is not, that is so not true. It's, whoops, I just lost my life. Um, <laughs> I just lost. Um, if you're in the dash, you're going to be imperfect till the day you're in the line. Until I put off this body, until I have my mind fully renewed, until I am with Christ, I will continue to sin. I will continue to do the wrong things. I don't want to. Or maybe I do want to. But God knew I would. And Christ paid for every one of them. Here is what is so amazing about the cross of Jesus Christ. When Christ hangs on the cross 2,000 years ago, just think about that. Let this be a question to you that I ask you. When Christ hanged on the cross 2,000 years ago, how many sins had you committed? Your parents, 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 parents were not around 2,000 years ago. So when Christ hangs on the cross, he dies for all of your and my collective sins, the ones I did before when I was still in Adam, the ones I did after I was in Adam and in Christ, and guess what? The ones I'll do before I put my head on the pillow tonight and until the day I die. He died for all of them, past, present, and future. And I'm forgiven because I'm in Christ. That's my dad, and he's covered and obliterated all of my sins by the blood of Jesus that was spilled one time at that cross for all time in my life, in your life, past, present, and future. The more I know him, the more I trust him. The more I trust him, the more I love him because he did that for me knowing full well what, how I would screw up afterwards. And the more I love, the more I, my heart wants to express my gratefulness. Here's what Paul said. I love what Paul said. If anybody knew about condemnation, it would be Paul. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, being plugged into life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death, which is for all those who are in Adam. In Adam. There is no condemnation. There's either some condemnation or all condemnation or no condemnation. According to the Apostle Paul, there's no condemnation. 
There is no way that God could condemn you if you are in Christ. Because all of your condemnation and all of my condemnation was placed onto Jesus when he died. He took it all. There was no condemnation. There's no condemnation left. There's no wrath left. Because Christ took it all on himself. So every accusation, every temptation, every pointing of the finger that comes at you and me with thoughts from the enemy or thoughts from our own heads are lies. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be convicted. Shouldn't mean, doesn't mean we don't feel that if we say something wrong. Doesn't mean we shouldn't apologize. Doesn't mean we shouldn't get, do something, to, uh, make amends. It doesn't mean any of that. We just, because I've been forgiven. I'm now free to go say, I am so sorry for what I did. I was so, in, I was just <sighs> being a jerk. That's all it was. I am so, please forgive me. That, that's, I'm now free to, to do that. You know why? Because the one who knows me better than I know myself and better than anybody else knows me has already forgiven me. But the accuser doesn't want me to know that. And the more I don't know Jesus, the better chance he'll have of getting through to me. He's a deceiver. Here Paul writing to the church at Corinth. I'm afraid. This is what he's saying. He's saying this to those who are in Christ. He says, I'm afraid. Lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds, Frank, your mind, shall be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. Do you, do you hear that? I'm so grateful. The gospel is simple. Simple for all of those who realize they can't do it on their own. Very complicated for those who believe there is something in them that they must do and continue to do to commend themselves to God. Simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Okay. The more it gets on a on a human part, the more devoted I am to my wife. Do you know what, what life becomes? Simpler. <laughs> Because there's this greater knowing and caring and desire to not create havoc in the home. There's a desire for purity of being devoted to one another. And that happens because we know first who has proven himself to be fully devoted to us. So... But we walk by faith. That's the question. We walk by faith, not by feel. And that's the thing I have to remember. There are times when I just feel like, bleh. You know, I've had a day where I've walked around like I was still in Adam. But you know what? God doesn't think any differently of you or me. He loves us just as much. Because he doesn't judge me based on me. He judges me based on his son. And the more I know that, the more I'm able to resist evil because I see it for the lie and I see the enemy for the liar that he is. He wants to keep us from experiencing, experiencing the depths of a relationship with God that God has for us, who's given, he's given us. He doesn't want us to understand this aspect of being, you know, in the wheelbarrow and having, and having confidence in God taking me from one side to the other. So, thirdly, and I'm 
I'm almost done here. What is the position of the Christian? What's the position of the Christian? Well, we've been talking about that since week four now. What is the position of the Christian? Well, here's, here's what Paul tells the church at Colossus. This is interesting. He says, for he, that is Jesus, delivered us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us un- into the kingdom of his beloved son. Out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So we've been taken out of something, out of the domain of darkness, we could just say in Adam, and placed into the kingdom of his beloved son. So let's just take a look at this real quick. So when you're in Christ, there's a change of address. We're taken out of darkness. You know, and a lot of people, you know, will wonder, no, I can't do this. I'm going to do it anyway. What about people that have never heard about this Adam and Christ stuff? You don't have to have heard about this in Adam or in Christ stuff. You can be on the other side of the world, never heard the gospel. And God hears your voice. And God makes himself known to you. And God wants you to know him. You don't know what a Bible is from a palm leaf. But this God, this invisible God, says you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will take you out of Adam even though you don't know what, it, what an Adam is. And he will place you into Christ, though you may not even know the name Jesus. That's what he does. You and I are amazingly fortunate to know these things. Not better off, but we know these things. Because we live in a country where, to this day, the word is readable without having to look over your shoulder. So a change of address, an exchange of lives. We get taken out of Adam. We get Christ's life. God sees us in Christ. Okay, so here's the dominion of darkness, the kingdom of light. I'm going to have to do this quickly. So this is what the Bible tells us. If I am in Adam, if I'm in Adam, that means I'm still curious, convinced, callous, confused, any other seeds that you can come up with. That's where I am. If I am in Adam, I'm not partly, I don't have one foot in Adam and one foot in Christ. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. This is where I am. If I'm curious, if I'm convinced, if I'm callous, if I'm confused, wherever... I'm still in Adam. And God loves me in Adam and desires me to come out of Adam. But that's where I am. I can't escape that. Here are the accoutrements of, of, uh, of uh, living in the dominion of darkness. Yet, you got Satan, you're still under sin, the curse of sin and death. There's slavery, there's bondage to sin. There's no way to be free, truly. You may be able to overcome habits, but that doesn't mean you're free. There's destruction, there's confusion, there's deception. There's fear of the future because you really, you really don't know what's on the other side of your last heartbeat and where you're going to be. All the benefits of the dominion of darkness. But in the kingdom of light, we have Christ. We have forgiveness past, present, and future. We have Christ's life we have freedom and power in Christ over sin. We have an ability to conquer the sin that's conquered us for maybe our whole lives. There is salvation. We are rescued. There's clarity. God gives me clarity now about things of faith where before they were cloudy. I now have clarity. I know the truth. Christ said, I'm the way, the truth. He gives us himself the truth, the truth to, to set us free from error. And then love like you and I have never known 
love before. Love like we have never known love before. And we defend ourselves by using the Word of God. The Word of God, the Bible calls the Word of God a, a, a sword that, that, is, that we are to use against the enemy. That it renews and restores our minds. Here's what, um, here's what the writer of the Hebrews wrote. It says, He that is Jesus put on flesh and blood... That through death, he might destroy him who has the power of death. He himself put on flesh. Jesus comes, is incarnated. He puts on flesh. That through death, through his death, through the cross, he might destroy him who has the power of death. That is the devil. We go much deeper into this later on. And then James writes, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I would argue this. If I'm submitting to God, guess what I'm automatically doing? Resisting the devil. And he's fleeing. The more I know him, the more I trust him, the more I love him, the more I serve him, the more I'm not interested in knowing the things of this world or the things of this flesh or the things of Satan. I'm putting them away, and the more I put them away, the more the appetite for them goes away. So, more than anything else, the more we know the secure position that we have in Christ, the more confident we are in Him. God has made a way of escape. Look, here's what, here's what the psalmist writes, and I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. Um, Look at, look at the words here. Look at the initiative of God. Psalm 18, verse 16 through 19. It says, He reached down from on high. He took me. He drew me out of mighty waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delights in me. He rescued me, as this translation says, because he delights in me. Do you see that? He reached down. He drew me out. He delivered me. They attacked me when I was weak, but the Lord upheld me. He led me to a place of safety. You see, this is all that God desires to do for us. The way to resist evil is to cling to the one who, who defeated evil for us so that we could experience line in the da life in the dash and life in the line forever. And the decision is ours. He's given us his son. He's given us the truth. I will either choose to try to make it on my own or say, I can't. I choose you, Jesus. Come in and change me from the inside out. just want to take a second. I'm going to pray and we're going to be finished. But if you're still hanging on in Adam, you're counting on anything you do. Your prayers, your church attendance, your relative goodness, anything to rescue you other than Jesus. Again, with all the love for you that I, can, I have. I can just tell you that is in contrary, 
that is contrary to the word of God. And either you are right or the word of God is right. So I just want to pray. And if now is the time you want to say, I do to Jesus. I can't think of a, a better time to do it. April 27th, 2021. You're standing at an altar with the one who died for you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you came to set me free when I didn't even know I needed to be set free. You came to rescue me from an enemy that I didn't even know was there. What amazing love that is. And I pray to know you more so that I can know more and more and more of this love that I can know this love for myself and that in knowing that love for myself that love can be poured out of me to others but tonight Lord I I just want to say to you I, I confess that you are my Lord I believe in your heart Jesus that you were raised from the dead tonight I stand at that altar and say to you who said I do to me 2,000 years ago. I say to you, I do. I receive you. I'm, I'm, I'm in the wheelbarrow. I get in the wheelbarrow. I, I'm submitting 100% of my life to you. Take over and change me, I pray. That I, can, that I can know you and in knowing you be able to resist evil. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys again. Remember, not this weekend, but next weekend will be our Alpha Weekend. Next weekend, we'll be talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. That'll be week eight. And then after the Alpha Weekend, we'll have our final two weeks, week week nine and week 10. But thank you all again for being here tonight. Let's take a quick break. Thank you all for joining us online. And we hope to see you again next week. Thank you.